Tonight we start uh, chapter 2 in Colossians. If you would, open your Bibles to uh, Colossians 2, verses 1 through 8. Let me pray before we start. Lord, thank you for the ones that are here tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this portion of scripture that Paul wrote while sitting in prison. And I thank you that he had a burden for those who were caught up in false teaching. And Lord, I pray that we would have that same burden and that we would mind ourselves too, Lord, that we would guard the things that we hear, that we would take heed to what we hear. And Father, that we would uh, dig deeply now into your word with a full understanding by your spirit that will guide us and help us. Father, I just pray for those many that are not here tonight, Lord, that if they're out and about, that you would protect them. If um, they are ill, that you would encourage them, strengthen them, Lord, and bless those of us that are here, that we might drink deeply into these truths that we will see this evening. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this past summer, I was um, looking at my email, and there was an email from a gal that I disciple in her job. Uh, requires her to be with different people from all types of life. And uh, this particular day, she happened to be with a pastor here in our local town. I use that term loosely. And uh, she said, Susan, she said, I had the strangest conversation with him. And uh, she said she was with him, and she asked him if he ever shared the gospel much with unbelievers. And then she said, I got the strangest reply, and this is what he said. And I quote her. I'm quoting her email. She said, then we got onto the subject of sinners, and he told me adamantly that we're not sinners anymore. We are not even to consider ourselves as sinners, she said, and end of quote. She elaborates more in the conversation in her email, and then she said, and I quote her again, This was the strangest conversation, and I left him so thankful for my church, truth, and a pastor who understands the truth. He, talking about the pastor she was talking to, is wacky. Wow, she said, end of quote. And uh, I thought, wow, here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we have a pastor, I use that term loosely, who thinks that we don't sin anymore, that we're not to even consider ourselves as a sinner. Now, I imagine that many of you have had similar conversations with people, not just here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but other places who have some wacky ideas that are caught up in heresy. Just this past week, a lady that I talked to in Kansas, she emailed me. Her husband is full of cancer and is dying, and we've been praying for salvation for quite some time now. And she said, Susan, please pray. She said, Satan is attacking our family. She said he allowed some uh, Mormons to come into our house, and he's invited them back for uh, in two more weeks to come back again. And she said, please pray. And she was very burdened. And I know many of you have burdens for those of those of you that know people that are uh, either loved ones or friends who are caught up in heresy, and you've diligently tried to point them to the truth. And you may have become frustrated over the months and years, not knowing what to do. How do I help this person? And it is heartbreaking when we see those that we love caught up in false teaching. And that's where we find ourselves as we begin Colossians chapter 2. And I think what makes Paul's situation a little bit different than ours is that Paul is 1,000 miles away from 
those that he loves and he's agonizing over that are caught up in false teaching, and he's also chained to a Roman soldier. And so it makes it a little bit more difficult for him. But is he hindered? Is he hindered because of being chained to a soldier? Is he helpless to do anything? No, he's not. And ladies, neither are we, even if we are far away from those that we might know that are caught up in false teaching. So let's read together the first seven verses of Colossians chapter 2. Of, um, and we're going to look at four re- requests and recommendations for those caught up in heresy. Notice what Paul says. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore For receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Now, tonight we just have a twofold outline. We're going to look at four requests for those who are caught up in heresy, four really prayer requests that Paul has for those that are caught up in heresy. We'll see that in verses 1 to 5. And then lastly, he ends with four recommendations to avoid being caught up in heresy. And so four requests for those caught up in heresy, four recommendations for those who are caught up in heresy. Now, as we ended chapter 1 last week, we saw that Paul was rejoicing in ministry, even though it was difficult and he was suffering. We saw that his responsibility in ministry was to minister the word, not novel and new ideas, but the word of God. His reason for ministry, remember, was to present them perfect and complete in Christ Jesus. And lastly, his resource in ministry was not Paul himself, his own strength, but his resource was Christ alone and his power. Now, I believe that there is an unfortunate chapter division here just like I believe all chapters and verses many times are unfortunate because the translators came in and added the chapters and the verses and the reason I say that because when we ended last week remember he's talking about he says for this I labor and I strive and I'm agonizing for you guys and so when he begins or the translators begin with chapter 2 verse 1 he's still agonizing he's still in labor over them to the point of exhaustion so he continues with his metaphor in in chapter 2 verse 1 and he says i want you to know what a great conflict i'm having for you and for those in laodicea and for many has not seen my face in the flesh now paul says i want you to understand this great conflict i'm having for you and the word conflict means an agonizing effort and this is a word which probably refers to the mental conflict he was having because of the heresy that was threatening them it's as it's as if paul is saying i am in distress over you i am so distressed that you all are going to adopt the gnostic heresy I'm very concerned over you. And ladies, this might be the distress that you feel over those that you love that might be caught up in false teaching. It is distressing. It can be mentally exhausting as you agonize over them in prayer. 
And Paul says, I'm distressed for you. I'm agonizing for you. And not just for them, but he mentions another class of people that are 11 miles away. He said, not only for you, but notice what he says. And for those who are in Laodicea. And if you did your homework, it's funny, Debbie and I were in Florida this past weekend, and she was doing her homework while I was studying for the retreat I was doing. And uh, she says, my map doesn't have Laodicea on it. And I said, well, shame on your map and your Bible. But it must not be inspired. But anyway, um, Colossae is 11 miles from Laodicea. And if you did your homework, you know, when you come to the end of Colossians, it says, now this epistle, this epistle is to be read among you. Make sure that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you also read the epistle from Laodicea. And we won't get into what that is right now because that'll be towards the end of our study. But ladies, think about it. Laodicea was close geographically to the church at Colossae, 11 miles away. And so they more than likely would be exposed to the same heretical teaching because of the close geographical uh, context. And I want to give a word of caution to you and to myself, really. Uh, Those of us that are living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, beware. Beware, 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 because our city is infiltrated with the teaching of the prosperity gospel. And we would do well as Christian women to arm ourselves with the word of God and with a clear understanding of what that heresy teaches. It sounds good. You know, it sounds great that Christ died to make me wealthy, healthy and wise. Doesn't that sound good? I can have my best life now. Doesn't that sound great? It sounds really good, just like my friend who said that pastor said we're not sinners anymore. Wow, that's nice, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if we're not sinners anymore? But ladies, we must shun those things that are in direct contrast to the word of God. Now, it's also interesting that Laodicea is the church that Jesus rebukes in Revelation as being lukewarm. And so maybe evidently they really did adopt the Gnostic heresy. Now, Paul was not only concerned for the Laodiceans, but secondly, he says, for those who have not seen his face in the flesh. Now, who's he talking about here? Well, this would also probably include those at Heropolis. Again, that is mentioned in the end of Colossians. When we get to Colossians 4.13, he says, I bear him witness he has a great zeal for you and for those at Laodicea and for those at Heropolis. And Heropolis is 11 miles from Laodicea. And so, again, because they are geographically connected, we might say Tulsa and Bigsby and Broken Arrow. So we're all kind of connected closely. And Paul says, I'm not only agonizing for the church at Colossae, but the church at Laodicea and the church at Heropolis. And so I, I think that this is something that we would do well to note because Paul is concerned for those that he has never met that are even in surrounding areas. Ladies, does that characterize you and me? Do we agonize over those even that maybe are not in the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, who are caught up in heresy? Is our agonizing only limited to those that we know? Paul was agonizing over brothers and sisters. I use that term loosely because if they adopt the heresy, then they're not brothers and sisters. But he was agonizing over those that were in churches that were caught up in dangerous heresy. I know for me as a student of the word of God, when I see women uh, Bible teachers, 
and I would name them, but that's not my point tonight. And I see many women listening to them, and I know that they're teaching false teaching. I'm grieved. It makes me sick. I am grieved, and I am burdened. Um, and we should be. We should be burdened because Jude is very clear that false teachers, many follow after them. And so when you see thousands and thousands of people drinking in uh, the guile, so to speak, it's very dangerous. Paul speaks about this in another place in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Who is weak and am I not weak? Who is made to stumble and do I not burn with indignation? You know, things like this should cause us to get upset when we see false teachers that are just bringing in the masses of people and teaching them false doctrine. It caused Paul to agonize and to burn with indignation. And ladies, it should us too. This is God's word that's being maligned. Now, Paul did something about this distress. He just didn't sit around in prison and bite his fingernails and, you know, take anxiety drugs or anything like that or say, oh, my, what am I going to do about the church at Colossae? What am I going to do about the church at Heropolis? What am I going to do about the church at Laodicea? He turned his inward agonizing upward to God to pray for them. What was his prayer? What was his desire? Well, the answer is found in verse 2 as seen in a fourfold prayer. And ladies, he has four requests for those caught up in false teaching. And I would encourage you, in fact, just today as I was going through my notes, um, I just had a kind of an upsetting thing happen a couple of days ago and where I saw a person that I dearly respect and love kind of heading down a wrong path. And I thought, well, Lord, I'm going to pray these four things for them. And uh, so we need to, these are great prayer requests that we can pray for those caught up in heresy. So notice the first one, that their hearts would be encouraged. Their hearts would be encouraged or comforted, your translation might say. Now, what would this mean? Well, the heart would indicate your thoughts, your feelings. And when Paul says, I'm praying your heart will be encouraged, it means to be comforted or to draw near. Now, maybe you're saying, Susan, this is a strange request from Paul. He wants those who are caught up in false teaching. He wants their hearts to be encouraged. Why does he pray that? Well, think about it. Those who are caught up in false teaching or those who are being led astray by false teachers, they're discouraged. You know why? Because they're like children tossed to and fro. Like Paul says in Ephesians, they don't even know what to believe anymore. They're like tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And so the saints at Colossae are perhaps toiling their minds, you know, This Gnostic stuff, it sounds really good. I mean, to think that I'm not responsible anymore for what I do in my body. I mean, dig it. I can go out and sin all I want. But wait a minute. Paul says here that I'm to put off anger, wrath, and malice. So, so, So what is it? And so Paul's saying, I'm praying that your hearts would be encouraged or comforted. And not only that, but Paul prays, secondly, that they would be knit together in love. Now, what does this mean? Well, the word knit together means to drive something or weld something together. And the word unite, when he says unite them, it means an association or affection, which is love. You know what Paul's praying? He's praying this. I am praying that you will come together or be united together with agape love. Now, Remember in our first lesson, 
Remember, Paul already told them that he and Timothy had heard from Epaphras what about their faith, hope, and love. He already knew that it was a church that loved each other. They were known for that. And now he's saying, I'm praying as you are being tempted to be caught up in this heresy that you will be knit together in love. And you might say, well, why would he pray that prayer request? Well, ladies, think about it. When you consider that false teachers were deceiving them with enticing words, right? It would cause division among themselves, right? And so they would need to be knit together, welded together in love. It's like James says, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Ladies, where there is error or self-seeking, there is confusion. When error tries to creep into a local church, you can almost count on a church split. You're going to have problems. You're going to have division. In fact, several years ago, we attended a church, and the church started going a direction that my husband and I were no longer comfortable with. And I remember we had an elder and his wife over for dinner, And my husband said, you know, you can't do this in a church that's been fundamentally a Bible church. You can't do this. And uh, so the elder said, well, you know, gave us some some speeches and stuff. And Doug said, if you do this, this church is going to split right down the middle, I guarantee it. And so the elder went on his way home, and guess what? They went ahead and went through with what they were going to do, and guess what? The church split right down the middle. And Paul is praying, I'm praying this will not happen to you. You need to be united together in love. Because, ladies, when heresy creeps into a church, it can and it will cause a church split. Now, Paul was not only concerned for their hearts, but for their minds as well. Look at his third and fourth prayer request for the church at Colossae. His third request is that they would attain to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Now, what is this? Well, the full assurance of understanding would be entire confidence or conviction of something. And understanding is a mental putting together of something. You know what Paul's praying? I want you to have conviction of Christian doctrine. I want you to be convinced of what Christ has taught. Why? Well, ladies, this doesn't really need an explanation. If you are not grounded in the truth of God's word and Christian doctrine, when dangerous heresy creeps into your church, you will not be able to identify it. You need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. In fact, Paul tells the elders in Titus that they are to hold fast the faithful word as they have been taught. Why? So they can confute the opposers. And ladies, that's just not for elders in the church. We all need to be studying to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Ladies, if you are not rooted and grounded in the word of God, you will not be able to discern false teachers or confront them, either one. Well, the last and fourth request for them is that they would know the mystery of God, both of the Father and Christ. What is Paul saying? He's praying for them that they will have a clear knowledge of the mystery of God who is Christ, that we've already looked at, who died for their sins. And ladies, this is probably the most important prayer request of the fourfold prayer request. This is probably the most important one. Why? Because the Gnostics taught that Christ was not enough. He was not enough. 
They wanted the church at Colossae to have more knowledge, but not knowledge of Christ. Remember, they wanted the gnosis knowledge, and that's why all the error was creeping into the church. They did not want them to know the knowledge of God and Christ. But ladies, Paul says, I am praying that you will understand this mystery of God is who is Christ. In fact, he goes on to remind them in verse 3 of just what they have in Christ. I mean, ladies, why would we search for something else when you consider what Paul says in verse 3? In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why would you want to search anywhere else? When in him, everything is there, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, what does this mean? Well, the word hidden means kept secret and treasures are wealth that is deposited. You know what Paul's saying? In Christ is all that we need, all the wealth that we need, both of what? Wisdom and knowledge. We, it's all there. And it's not just a limited amount. All that we need is there. Now, what is knowledge and what is wisdom? Well, knowledge is apprehending truth, whereas wisdom is application to life. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge, right? And we've already had this in a past lesson. But the Gnostics taught something different. They said knowledge was an end in itself. Remember, they boasted of their secret hidden writings. But Paul says, no, in him is hidden all the treasures, everything in Christ of wisdom and knowledge. And yet, ladies, we must pursue that knowledge of him. In fact, it doesn't come by osmosis. I was talking to somebody tonight before Bible study, and we were just sharing back and forth, and she's got an inquiry mind, wants answers. She wants a Bible answer woman, which I'm not, but answered all the questions. And I was telling her, you know, it doesn't come by osmosis. It comes by hard work, right? We have to be growing in our knowledge. And so this poses a question for each of us to consider. Are we growing in the knowledge of God? Of Christ. And you know, we have so many more means today than the church at Colossae. I mean, we're going to find out when we get to chapter 3. Most of the saints in Colossae, you know, they did not have a copy of scriptures. They didn't have a copy of God's word like you have right now on your lap. And yet we have all so many more advantages than they have. And yet, ladies, we are to grow and learn in the knowledge of God and his son, Jesus Christ. This should be your highest pursuit in life. It's as Paul said to the church at Philippi, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, And ladies, that should be our pursuit in life. The false teachers did not have all the wisdom and knowledge, even though they claimed they did. And Paul knew this. And so he begins to warn them in verse 4. And notice what he says. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you, with persuasive words. Paul says, I'm writing this letter to you to prevent you from being deceived or led astray, or my translation, King James Version says, beguile you. Paul says, I don't want you to be deluded into thinking something that's not true. Don't believe it. You know, ladies, the Gnostics were deceiving the Colossian believers with enticing and persuasive words. You know what this means? Fine-sounding words arguments fine sounding arguments false reasoning they were trying to sway them away by persuasive words in fact john writes of this in his writings in first john and he's combating the same heresy gnosticism he says these things i've written to you concerning those who are trying to 
seduce you, deceive you. Don't listen to them. Evidently, the Gnostic teachers were very convincive with their persuasive speech. And ladies, we should be on guard because Satan and his little cohorts appear as angels of light, as ministers of righteousness. In fact, Jude, who also writes of false teachers, he warns of this type of speech. Listen very carefully, Jude 1.16, talking about false teachers. They're grumblers, grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. Their mouths speak great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Ladies, that is a speech of a false teacher, and we need to be very careful My friend, we preach Christ and his word, as Paul has already written, not mysterious and novel ideas. And I want to encourage you, beware. Just because somebody can convince you by their smooth-sounding speech does not mean they're right. Uh, Remember even the adulterous woman mentioned in Proverbs 3, or Proverbs chapter 5, that uh, leads young men astray. It was said of her speech, her lips drip honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as a wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And you know, even David, in talking about his dearest friend that he used to go to the house of God and worship with, Ahithophel, you know what he said about Ahithophel's speech? When talking about his friend, he says, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter. You know how smooth butter is? But war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. Yet they were drawn swords. Ladies, please listen. We would do well to listen to those who are empowered by the Spirit and whose words line up with the Word of God. Not people who can flower you, flatter you, and have smooth speech. In fact, I want to give you four hints on things that are evident in those whose words are smooth, but heresies in their heart. And maybe this will help you if you know of anybody caught up in false teaching. And by the way, these are not the four recommendations for those caught up in heresy. This is just a little side note that I want to give to you. But look at, look at Matthew 23. Break away from Colossians a little bit. Matthew 23. I want you to look, note something very interesting that Jesus, he helps us when talking about false teachers, which were the scribes and Pharisees of his day. Matthew 23, verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you, observe observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces. They like to be called rabbi, rabbi. End of that passage. Ladies, you know, according to Jesus, we can spot a false teacher by four ways. According to this passage right here. Number one, they lack integrity, right? Very clear. They lack sympathy, They bind burdens that they themselves will not bear. They lack spirituality, and they lack humility. They like to be seen of others. So they lack integrity, they lack sympathy, they lack spirituality, and they lack humility. I just wanted to put that on a little side note. Well, let's get back to Colossians. 
So the news of the false teachers deceiving the saints at Colossae was weighing heavily on the Apostle Paul, and to add to the burden was the fact he couldn't be with them, as mentioned in verse 5. Notice what he says. For though I am absent in the flesh, and I'm with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul says, even though I can't be with you, I'm rejoicing with you, your good order, your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. In fact, we might phrase it like this. My heart is with you. I can't be with you, but my heart is with you. And I thought it was interesting at the time I was writing this lesson. I had a friend in California whose mother passed away and I couldn't go to the funeral. But I remember writing her a note and I said, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet my spirit is with you. And I wanted to be with her, but I was hindered. Just like Paul wanted to be with the church at Colossae, but he was hindered because he was in prison and chained to a soldier. But ladies, even though he's absent from them, notice what he says. I'm rejoicing. Why? He says, because to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now, what's he saying here? Well, he's rejoicing, which doesn't mean he's hilariously happy. It means he's calmly happy. Can you imagine being chained to a Roman soldier and say you're commonly, calmly happy at that time? Why is he calmly happy? Not because he's chained to a soldier, but notice what he says. Because of your good order and your steadfastness. And you might say, what is that? Well, they're interesting words in light of the fact that he's chained to a Roman soldier because they're military terms, which I thought was interesting. Order is a military term which speaks of an orderly array of soldiers. You ever seen, in fact, right now, you know, if you watch uh, news, you can see the North Koreans, you know, you see them, they're kind of like, I was like, is there any space in between those guys? You know, it's like they look like robots almost, but there's an orderly array, and they're kind of, you know, they're, they're together. So order is a military term which speaks of an orderly array of soldiers, and that's what comes to my mind is those North Korea soldiers. Steadfastness is another military term which means to make solid, which is interesting. I think of the North Korea army as well. And so, remember, Paul's sitting there in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier, so he's using these military terms. And he says, I'm beholding with joy your orderly array and the solid front of your faith in Christ. Now, church at Colossae, don't waver. Don't doubt. Don't listen to the false teachers. Don't listen to their words, even though they're smooth as butter and persuasive. Don't do it. In fact, if you'll notice very carefully, he talks about their steadfastness being their faith in Christ. Not what the Gnostic teachers were teaching them, their faith in Christ. Ladies, without that faith in Christ, they would be wobbly, they would be double-minded, they would be in disarray. In fact, remember when we were in Colossians 1.23, he talks about if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and move not away from the hope of the gospel. And so he's, again, just agonizing over them. Remember your steadfast order of your faith in Christ. Ladies, Paul wants them to remain steadfast, but how are they going to do that? How will you and I remain steadfast in a world that is increasing with false teachers and false teaching? 
Well, Paul now shifts from his request for those caught up in heresy to his four recommendations to avoid being caught up in heresy. And ladies, we would do well to make sure we ourselves, first of all, are armed with these four recommendations, and we would do well to pray for those in our city who are caught up in false teaching, these four recommendations. Let's look at verse 6. He says, As you you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, what does this mean? Well, the word receive, very interesting. It means to associate oneself or to join oneself to another. And ladies, notice who they receive. Christ Jesus, the what? Lord. That's a tad bit different than our gospel message today, which tells us to receive Christ by asking him into our heart, which, by the way, is not even mentioned in the Bible. In fact, if your Bible says it, I want you to show me afterwards. Paul is very clear. We who are God's children have joined ourselves with one that we call Lord, who means he's master. He's supreme. He's our authority. He's my owner. And because they've received him as supreme authority in their life, Paul says, walk in him. Ladies, walking with God is the first step to avoid heresy. The first recommendation to avoid heresy. You might say, well, what is walking? What does it mean to walk with God? Well, walking in scripture is a metaphor that is used to describe our manner of life. And also when you think about walking, you're making progress, right? You're going somewhere. It also describes the whole of the activities of an individual's life. And Paul is reminding them that their walk must be in harmony with the fact that they've embraced Christ as Lord. Paul says many times, walk worthy of the vocation by which you're called. Walk your talk. You say you believe Christ as Lord. You say you've received him as Lord. Then now walk with him. Ladies, if we're truly walking in the spirit and walking with the Lord, we will not allow ourselves to be persuaded by false teachers. We will not. Many, unfortunately, in our day are not walking with the Lord. I know women, they spend no time in the word, no time in prayer at all. And then they wonder why they're being swept away by the novel and the new ideas that creep into the church. They don't walk with the Lord. They don't even know where the simplest truths are in the scriptures. And so then you wonder... Why are you being caught up with false teaching? They're not walking with the Lord. They're not progressing in their spiritual walk. Well, Paul goes on to give three more recommendations for avoiding heresy in verse 7. He says, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Ladies, the second recommendation we must do to avoid heresy is to be rooted and built up in him. In fact, the Greek reads, having been rooted. (laughs) Having been rooted, having been firmly established. One man says this, strong roots stabilize growth. Ladies, you got to have some strong roots. You know, I used to have a friend that said, grab a root and growl. But you got to have some strong roots. In fact, uh, this last year, Debbie was trying to help me get some, well, actually, she was doing the work, but then we gave up and had Mark come and pull it with a pickup truck. But some pampas grass, have you ever seen that stuff? Man, those roots, you cannot get those babies out. They are crazy. And uh, But strong roots, what? Stabilized growth. And it's, you know, you can't grab that root and growl. 
But ladies, thank the Lord, we only need to be rooted once. This, in fact, the Greek is, this is an action that happened one time in the past and has continuing results. Paul says you've been rooted in Christ. And ladies, this would be essential as they faced the Gnostic heresy. Now, the built up in him is a present participle indicating continuous action. In fact, it reads like this, being constantly built up. So ladies, we not only be, need to be walking with him, we need to be rooted and we need to be built up. And you might say, well, how are we built up? Well, by the word of God. Listen to what Paul says in Acts twenty thirty two. Now, brethren, I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among the saints. Also, we not only build ourselves up by the word of God, but listen to what Jude says as he's closing his letter regarding false teachers. In Jude 1.20, he says, You, beloved, in contrast to false teachers, you build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying and keeping yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. So, ladies, when you marry these two passages together, it's very simple. You know how you build yourself up? The word of God, prayer, faith, and love. Nothing new, right? Even though the false teachers are trying to come in and teach you something new, there's nothing new and novel about the Christian faith, right? The word of God, prayer, our faith, and love. Well, number three recommendation is the outcome of one and two. Ladies, as saints are rooted and built up, then it's only natural that they will be established in the faith. This is the third recommendation to follow if you want to be kept from error. What does it mean to be established in the faith? Well, established means to be strengthened, to make firm or stable. It's also in the Greek, a present participle, which indicates continuous action. Isn't that what Paul said? Genuine Christians are grounded and settled. They do not move away from the hope of the gospel. We persevere to the end. Paul says, don't be tossed to and fro by various false teachings. Be firm, be stable in what you believe. In fact, being steadfast would be a reminder to them that they were genuine in the faith. Well, Paul gives one last recommendation to keep them from heresy. Notice what he says, abounding with thanksgiving. Now, the word abound here means to superabound or to be in excess. And the word thanksgiving just really means to be grateful And actually here, it's really in regards to God and an act of worship. Now, you might say, Susan, I really don't get it. How can being thankful, how can abounding with thanksgiving help someone to avoid heresy? How does that work out? Well, ladies, think about it. If you are thankful, if you are content with your relationship with Christ alone, If you are not out on the lookout for new and novel ideas that false teachers are presenting, then you are grounded. You have a grounded relationship with Christ. And you're not looking for something new and enticing. You have Christ and that's enough. That's all you need. And by the way, these four things, these four recommendations, they build upon each other. Think about it. Rooted leads to being built up, which leads to being established in the faith, which leads to abounding with thanksgiving, right? 
As Christians who are built up in Christ, we become more grateful and we're overflowing with thanksgiving. A thankful heart is a content heart. A thankful heart is not always on the lookout for something new and enticing. A thankful heart is satisfied with Christ alone, and we don't need anything else. What a contrast from false teachers who are rarely thankful to God, but if you've ever been around a false teacher, they spend most of the time praising themselves, if you've ever been around one of them. Ladies, if we would cultivate a thankful spirit, we would not have a desire to look for fulfillment anywhere else or be led astray by false teachers. In fact, one man put it well. People who received and were taught the correct faith by a true teacher from God, people who go walking on in it, are rooted more deeply and built up more fully in it. They're constantly confirmed in regard to it by daily testing of it. They're thankful for all of it, especially for the renewed confirmation. What will they do? (laughs) They will laugh at all the false teachers who come along and try to alter any part of that faith and doctrine. This is a most excellent summary, and it's placed in the proper place. So what are the four requests for those caught up in heresy? That their hearts would be comforted, they would be knit together in love, they would attain to the full riches of a complete understanding, they would know the mystery of God. My friend, if you are wavering in your faith tonight, I would encourage you to pray these four truths for yourself. I was just with my daughter this weekend, and she said, Mom, did I tell you about my friend Jessica? She apostatized from the faith. And I said, Cindy, it seems like every time I talk to you, you have another friend that's apostatized from the faith. And these are kids that have gone to the master's college. If you're struggling with your faith tonight, pray these four truths for yourself. If you know someone else who's caught up in error, pray these four truths for them. Ladies, false teachers and their teaching is dangerous, so dangerous it can lead you eternally astray. There are also four recommendations to avoid being caught up in heresy. Walk with God, be rooted and built up in him, be established in the faith, and abound with thanksgiving. What are you doing to avoid being caught up in the false teachers of our day? Are you walking with God? How have you walked with him this week? Are you rooted and built up in him by a life of dedicated prayer, Bible reading, faith, and love? How often do you participate in these spiritual disciplines? Is your time in the word and prayer growing or is it diminishing? Are you firm in your faith? Do you know what you believe, why you believe it, and how to defend the faith? Do you? If not, why not? And what about abounding in thanksgiving? Are you so content in your relationship with Christ that when false ideas come your way, you think, who are they kidding? I have my Lord and he is enough. Why should I taste of their erroneous ideas when I have tasted of the Lord and he is excellent? Let's pray. Father, we do pray for our friends here, especially in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who are sitting under that man that I mentioned in the beginning that is teaching such an erroneous idea that we're not sinners. And yet we know our brother John says, he who says, I have not sinned, is a liar. 
and the truth isn't in him. And so, Father, I pray for them. I pray for those that are caught up in other parts of not only the United States but the world because we know this massive heresy of prosperity teaching has reached even third world countries. And so, God, we pray for them. We pray that we would agonize over them and that we would compel those that we are able to compel to turn away from such nonsense. Father, I thank you that we have Christ in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why would we go anywhere else? And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless in our time this evening. I know that we're few in number, but I pray that our discussion would be rich and encouraging one to another. And I pray this for the Savior's sake. Amen.